Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 70, and we're doing chapters 53, 54, and 55 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. We have a couple of cool things to talk about this week, but first and foremost, I kind of want to get out of the way. As of the recording of this video, or in this episode, be about a week um, a week ago once this goes live, but we have launched our Patreon finally. We have been asked multiple times to launch a Patreon, and we finally have. So if you'd like to support us, we've got a couple goals on there, uh, a couple perks and stuff on the on the Patreon, and Paul is showing off one of the perks at the moment. I'm going to throw it to you, Paul. How are you doing? And uh, talk to us about our Patreon a bit. I am doing great. I'm glad we got this off the ground and running. Um, I wanted to say a special thank you to everyone who has uh, already um, helped support us and everything. Um, and so today our moose mug goes out to, I apologize if I say your name wrong, Ingun. Sorry. Um, and I have a lovely moose mug, which I felt would be a great way to start this off. Um, it also comes with some moose facts, so I think it's very important that we learn some about mooses so we can be fully immersed as we move forward. Um, did you know, Trevor, a moose can run up to 35 miles per hour? I I did know that, actually. That's faster than I can run. So It is faster than most people can run. Also, moose, moose not mooses, Moose instinctively know how to swim very well. Even calves can swim. I didn't know that one. Well, you now you do. So You didn't really explain why Ingen is on your, your mug, though. Oh, you need to yes. talk us through that. I'm sorry. Yes. So we have several tiers to our Patreon, five to be exact. Um, and I believe it's our second tier where you get featured on our mug of the week. So this week um, is Ingen. And following weeks that could be you if you want to, to help support us um we should have the link in the description if anyone uh, wants more information on that um as well as fun opportunities in our discord and some soon to come merchandise so yes that is why ingen is here um on my lovely moose mug thank you so much i will try to i'm sorry about the glare but yeah it's all good elliot how are you I'm doing excellent. I'm super excited about the Patreon and just another way to interact with all you guys out there. Looking forward to it. Some fun stuff, I think, coming on the Discord here pretty soon as well. So, uh, fun times. Wonderful. And jumping into this episode, do you, Paul, do you have two words to summarize episode 70 for us? I do. I have two words to, to summarize episode 70, and those are brash contraption. Barrage contraption. Okay. And Elliot? Mm -hmm. My two words for these chapters are hidden pain. Hidden pain and brash contraptions. All right. Let's use these four words and talk about Oathbringer. All right, Paul, 
so i'll bet you didn't know this about me but brash is one of my favorite words like ever so why are we using it for today so brash uh, mostly is referring to our uh, lovely peaceful interaction between yasna and amaram which goes very smooth yes and they just get very along simple. really well uh-huh exactly um so there's a lot of brash interaction there um, as well as playing a little bit into my second word. And my second word is contraption, which we see... Um, we see... Renarin... Sorry, got my names mixed up there for a second. We see Renarin find these contraptions or hidden compartments in the wall. And whenever we talk about that later on, I have an observation that is not that important, but I'm going to not say it now so people will think it's important. Sounds good. That has to do with brash too. So. Elliot, first off, I gotta say I love Paul's words. I don't know why, but brash contraption just seems like those words like fit together. It's like poetic. I don't know. Anyway, my words: hidden pain for a variety of reasons. We had a few different hidden things in these chapters. Renarin discovers the hidden contraptions in the walls which i thought was cool and potentially really important if they just unlocked a bunch of historical information from your theory of old that could be big uh various instances of pain i i kind of tied that into the whole yasna versus amram thing i don't remember if we've had a reference to that before or not or if this is the first time but definitely a, a past a painful one it seems like between the two of them but then in this chapter, it culminated in chapter 55, which was Relaine's perspective chapter, which was super cool to see. But it was tough to kind of see the inner, like, hidden pain that he's going through, like the difficult emotions he's dealing with that he's kind of hiding from everyone else. So hidden pain. Gotcha. We we have gotten a couple, at least one reference to Yasna Amaram that there was something between them. If you remember back to the prologue of Words of Radiance, it was Yasna's prologue. And she walks in on Gavilar and Amram and um, some of yeah. the um, some of the Parshman. Uh, they're all having a meeting with the Dark Sphere. And Amram, like, it's, it's like painfully awkward there between Amram and Yasna for a second. And then it kind of just skips over it. So... We, it has been alluded to, but nothing quite so brash. Speaking of brash, I need to jump in right quick. And I just thought about this because you talked to... I don't know why I thought of this. I, I apologize in advance, but... Okay, so so Yasa and Amram have a lot of tension here. But let's... So there's all these, like, you know, putting names together for couples, right? If that were to happen with Yasin and Amram, would it be Yamaram? <laughs> I, I thought of that and I thought it was hilarious. Just, just go back to the normal pronunciation of J and just say Jamaram and just. Jamaram? Jamaram. Yamaram? The only okay. other possibility is like Yasnaram. So, I yeah, think I like the first yeah. one. Or ya Yasaram? Yasnaram? Am Uh, oh dear. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so Yamaram is gonna happen. I ship it. We'll see where that goes. But... Oh, 
you made a lot of people angry. In the I'm sorry. Right I'm sorry. There. I don't. I don't know anything. Please don't come at my my throat <laughs> for that one. That was a joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, I give it to the end of the book. So. All right. Anyways, we may continue. That was my uh, nonsense for the so, day. So, who wants to who wants to talk about it? This Yasna Amram interaction here. What what happens and why is it so entertaining for us? If you if you will. So definitely, I saw a lot of. I feel like what we've seen in Shalon and uh, throughout a lot of our books, or at least earlier books, whenever she gets into an argument, she's very very quick witted and will like just go straight for the other person and, and does not like miss a hit. And we saw that very evidently here with, with Yasna and Amaram and they were just like throwing punches left and right verbally and uh and almost physically too. Uh it was a pretty intense scene where Yasna makes Amaram so mad he's about to pull a shard blade and Yasna just says like I wish you would give me the excuse. Like I wish you would give me the excuse to do it. And it was pretty cool because it talks about, like, she shoves her hand out and there's, like, stormlight circling and stuff. She's just, like, ready ready to go and soul cast. So it was pretty intense scene. Um, very brash. So I like your comparison to Shalon. I thought of that, too. Normally, Yasna's the more reserved, calm one. But it's like just by walking in the room, Amram got under her skin because she just unleashes on him. Like, my goodness, no no punches pulled this time. She is just, man, dragging him through the mud. And then half a second later, Yasna is chiding herself for, you know, stooping <laughs> to his level and insulting him a bunch. But her insults are on on point. I do, I do have to say it for myself. I would not argue with her personally. No. Yes. <laughs> I would I I would not be able to keep up, so. Yeah. so I thought it was pretty uh kind of a stark contrast as well. So we have this we really like lead out strong with this Yasna Amaram tension, which just as like my last comment on that, I wasn't expecting it to be as tense as it was. We've maybe had some slight allusions to like yeah, they may not like each other much, but I kind of get the the notion that Yasna doesn't like that many people. She's not for, like, having all these friends and, like, all this stuff. She's more um, straightforward, business-only kind of person. Um, but it was really, really abrupt. And then we kind of end that, and then we have Shalon then telling Yasna that she's leaving. And so I, I felt like that was a pretty stark difference. It was like, okay, really, really intense. And like Yasna telling, sorry, Shalon telling Yasna she's leaving with the king was like also important, but not like, it was just like a big drop off in intensity, which was good. There's no, nothing wrong with that, but I, uh, and that was just something I noticed. And it'll even this ep, or this chapter even starts with a lower intensity, and then it like jumps up when Amram walks in because it starts the ep, or the chapter with her 
penning her colleagues from around the world. They're all having this span read like meeting conversation. And there's like this old baker guy from Thalen City um, who refuses to tell anyone that he's a he's a man and he's writing under a woman's pen name. It's kind of the uh, the difference between you know our earth historically of women writing under men men's pen names because so that they'll be respected. It's the other way around that a man is coming in with all this philosophy and wouldn't be respected if he was he revealed that. There was a little, one little bit of information that I did pick out of that conversation, the kind of the slower part of the chapter before it got all intense with Amaran walking in the room. And that was actually about Renarin's spren or Truth Watcher spren. Yasna is like watching Renarin over in the corner, you know, kind of act a little strange, kind of like Renarin tends to do, we've learned. And she wonders, like, oh, what does his spren look like? So she asks her companions and they tell her, that Truth Watcher Spren are supposed to look like the description I got was like light through a prism. So I'm thinking of kind of like that rainbowish shimmer sort of on yeah. a surface, perhaps. So I, I jotted that down. That can be important later on if we if we notice that somewhere. That might be a, a tell that Brenar and Spren is involved. It felt very Warbreaker-esque to me. The, the, oh yeah, the light shimmer like kind of refraction of light type thing felt very Warbreaker, Sasebron type thing. I didn't even think of that, but that's really cool. That's a really cool comparison or just like, I will give Warbreaker a lot of credit for making me think creatively or like mm. image wise, like thinking about what's on the page. Right. In Warbreaker, it's kind of hard to, to imagine a lot of the things that happens, like just a radiating aura of like, prismatic light and things like that it was kind of difficult to think of but that's actually a really good like thing to notice um so i think i think we mentioned this pretty early on when we were reading warbreaker but whenever that gets a visual adaptation the visual effects budget is going to be off the charts for that movie because every frame is going to have to be so like vibrant and distorted and weird and yeah no joke so um do you mind if I dig myself into a hole here? Um, Is it about Yasna and Amram more? No. It's it's about... Uh, remember Shalon being a light song? Yes. Um, so if... If Renarin's Truth Watcher's friend is this prismatic light, that means that he is also tied to Warbreaker now, in my mind. And so... Shalon is light song... But Renarin is, uh, I forget the name, but his like little scribe homie that he always was talking to and hanging out with. Oh, his brother that you, is revealed at the end there? I don't remember his or, name. Yeah, I don't remember the name either, and I feel kind of bad about it. But the one who was like, was like acting or, or like apparently knew about Light Song's past that Light Song didn't remember. Right. If I remember that correctly, I think that's how it was. Um, but yeah, it adds up, and I can promise it. I'm sure it will come true. So sounds good. Thought you were gonna say that Renarin is the the king is, guy. Sasebron. Yeah. Sasebron. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I thought you were going. 
No, that's too obvious, Elliot. It's too obvious. <laughs> yeah. Why would... Oh, yeah. Okay. People would okay. suspect that. People would suspect that. And it's if, if I know anything about Brandon Sanderson, it's not going to be what you expect. So this fair, is fair. this is the actual answer. Um, so, yeah. I'm with you. I'm on board. I'm on board. Okay, perfect. Renarin is off by himself, kind of mumbling to either himself or his friend. Yas is not really sure. Yasin, or Renarin kind of does this type of thing from time to time. And he's he's mumbling to himself, and Yasna reads his lips across the room. It's like, oh, it's it's in here. It's in the library. And she's like, what is he, what is he doing? And he walks over to the wall and presses this little gemstone that's in, embedded into the wall. And a little drawer pops out. And then Yasna rushes over. He's like, whoa, wh like, what'd you do? And then he does it to the whole wall. And like a bunch of little drawers pop out. And a bunch of little gemstones come. And they each vibrate a specific pattern. And that pattern is able to pick up on. And what were the, like the mic drop at the end of the episode, or at the end of the chapter that we're left with is... It's some sort of Morse code. Uh, each of these gems has that it's a, you know, it's, it's a right, it's a line of a poem or a line of a book that says that they've recorded in audio form to preserve it because they knew the writings wouldn't last as long as the Desolation Mine. So they they held their their knowledge in these gems, and assuming we can find the key to whatever language they're speaking we should be able to find out some information from the Knights Radiant. This brings up something that I wanted to, to point out. It's not that important, but it also, I just thought of another question that you may be able to answer, Trevor, but honestly, I don't know if this is like known by, by anyone. So I was thinking about the way, the way it describes it. When Renorin pops this drawer out of the wall, it, it talks about it kind of like, is like spring loaded out of the wall or seems like a mechanical thing. And I thought that was kind of weird because I think of like everything we've seen seems like very mystical power, stormlight powered stuff. So my thought was like, these seem really old, which kind of makes sense. No one kn knew these were here. I'm sure they're really old. Um, but I, it, it just made me think of like, was there a time before like stormlight powered things? I think of that as like, all the fabrioles and everything that they use and um artifabrial all, all this stuff i think of almost as like modern technology right i don't know do is there any like knowledge in the books of like a time when things were simpler or no technology or whatever or like that i i don't imagine there is but i didn't know i thought i'd ask so this technology is actually a pretty it's going to be a pretty heavy fact checker for us going forward of what technology did they have. Because that's what Yasta and Navani are using to date the visions. They'll walk into visions and be like, and Dalinar will say, oh, you know, what what, what time are we at? What, what's, what's the age here? And they'll immediately look at, you know, what what technology do they have? And... They've mentioned a couple times that technology kind of resets every desolation because that's how devastating they were. That, you know, nine tenths of everybody on Roshar would die. And you've kind of just reset culture and science as like 
as an idea you kind of reset it and unless you know how to smelt you know iron or whatever you have to relearn that over over generations so there's there have been several things to to point to this but we're under the understanding that the knights radiant were more technologically advanced as when it comes to stormlight specifically than we are currently so they knew a lot more about stormlight and how to use it specifically fabrials and shard blades and stuff like that than than we currently know okay that makes sense it definitely seems like some of the hints are pointing to the fact that the times in the long distant history in the past have actually were times of more technology than we're at today which is an interesting concept where maybe like before desolations even started society was at such a technological height that's so far above where we're at currently in the story at least that's kind of how i'm envisioning this is like the further back you go the more technology almost you get not necessarily but maybe and and Elliot's dead Eurythiru theory kind of points to that is that there's there's elevators in Eurythiru and they're stormlight powered uh, and they've been able to get those working but there also seems to be you know Eurythiru seems to be warmer than it should be and they don't know why that's the case it seems to be warmer than you know surrounding sur- the surrounding area and they don't know why that is so. Do you think this scene with Renar and opening up all these little compartments would could be re- done really cool visually in like you know a movie scene? This could be really fun with him, you know, just kind of unlocking this, and all of a sudden, just you know, all the way down this wall that's like as far as you can see, all these little contraptions like pop out of the wall. I I just thought it'd be super cool, and there's like glowing light coming out of each one. I think it's specific that they're not the the gems aren't glowing because they have to like add the stormlight, but it'd be cool visually. They could, you know, alter it a little bit. Let's say, like, Renarin infuses them all, and every, suddenly the whole wall's yeah. blowing. Yeah. I always, I agree with you. I always envisioned the scene of Yasna and Amram just going at it in the middle of this library, and everybody's kind of just, you know, pretending they're not listening to this whole thing. And then, <laughs> like, in the background of the shot, you just see Renarin, like, completely ignoring them and staring at this wall, trying to figure out how to open this drawer. That's always how I've imagined this scene. Now that you say it like that, I can actually picture it very vividly. He's just kind of like poking around, and then the camera jumps to his perspective, and he finds the button, and whoosh, and it's right. super cool. Yeah. And all these, so they think they're like fabrioles, or they're just like gems in each of these drawers, and they all have like holes drilled through them, which seemed weird. And, and we, we did find out it's like a Morse code type thing, but... First, I was really trying to figure out what was going on there, and I had no clue, so I'm glad we kind of figured that out. It was kind of told to us. Yeah, that's Navani's question immediately is, why would they... I mean, the title of the chapter is such a twisted cut. Why would they screw up a gemstone so royally, but it's so that it will vibrate in a specific way? And, and you know, Morse code. And I feel like this could be a turning point in our story. If this really is like a treasure trove of knowledge from the times of the original Radiance or from the original 
Urethiru when it was an operating city. Like this is what our characters have been trying to find. This is what Navani and more, I guess more Yasna has been speaking for like her entire life. Right. This could be huge. Like if this starts to unlock secrets and answer questions, this could be, I mean, really big. Our characters could really get a lot of answers from this potentially. All right. Question for you two. Are they going to tell posterity why they abandoned their spren in the library? Probably not is my guess for one of two reasons. Either one, it's not a pretty, it's not a very positive event in their history. There's a lot of reason maybe to not to go into detail about what all happened in the recreants and all of that. And reason number two, I feel like the Knights Radiant very much changes from that point on. I could see that being like the day where they shut the doors of Yurithiru and they don't come back. And therefore kind of history stops at that point. They stop recording like that day. So it may lead up to that. They might be able to find like events in history that led into that, which might be part of the answer. But the event itself... I would doubt is recorded, but it could be wrong. That's just my guess. I don't know. Great. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm actually trying to think about it, but like, I don't know. I guess I didn't think about it much. Like when reading, I, so I, I'm really not sure. Um, but I am sure of this. Whatever this message is will just be the most important words a man can say, and then our story will be over. Ooh. Oh. Uh-huh. Right, oh right, right here and right now. The most important no. words a man can say. I am assuming it's not that, unless that this becomes some puzzle that isn't solved for a very, very, very long time. Um, I don't know what this is. I'm starting to think that that phrase may be the bookends of this series. Like that's where we started. All of this was the most important words a man can say. I'm wondering if we don't get the answer to that until like the very end, like book five, last chapter. I have been under the assumption that that's the case. I couldn't tell you, honestly. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And even if I could, I probably wouldn't. But what if you did? Uh, what if? No, thank you. Okay. All right. Anything else for 53 before we move on to 54? Talk about some fused. Let's talk about some fused. All right. So I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but Elliot, you had specific questions about Parshman and Parshendi and fused and what all the lines are there we get some more answers to that um in this episode where uh leshwi is we get to know her name she reveals herself to moash as she's the fused who he killed and she has reincarnated herself into another parchment body but she's still the same soul so she wasn't really upset that she died 
because it, it wasn't her body that died. It was, or it wasn't her soul that died. It was just that body she was hosting. And she has a conversation with Moash in this chapter. What'd you guys get out of this? I thought this was super cool. I really want to see this in like a movie or show or something. Um, I, like for one, the descriptions of Leshby were really cool. It, like, so we've seen that all the Parshendi have either like red and black or like red and white, like marbled skin, I guess. And it says that she has like all three colors and it's like just seemed super cool and like intense. Um, and we also learned a lot of really cool stuff. So as far as I understand, which definitely correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor, the fused are like way beyond storm form. Like storm form is like another form and the fused are like a whole different thing. So I understand that's like beyond. You can think of storm form as, you know, void bringer form, but you're still your own soul fused are uh, the ancient souls come back from the dead come back from damnation to kill and be hosted by the new parchment so the the fused are the old souls from however long ago that have been sealed away and storm form is just the the physical form of the parchment before they get a fused uh, host. And we learned too in this chapter, or we get a, a hint, I think Moash might be just guessing at it, that the flying fused, but Moash has observed that there's different types of fused that seem to have different powers. We've maybe theorized that these might equate towards like orders of radiant or like the inverse of the orders of radiant where they have different powers perhaps but moash seems to conclude that the flying ones seem to be in charge which is which is interesting i did you guys pick up on that do, do we think that's important at all do we care at this point i i do and i'm trying to remember where don't we also get some mention of like Well, okay, my main thought of that is kind of like the parallel between that and our, like, just Windrunner main characters. Right. Um, and I'm not sure what to make of it past that. I feel that it is important, but I don't know that I really know why. So... That's kind of where I'm at, too. Yeah, as... I think we get added to the list of questions. So as you guys get closer to what I've read and what I know about the Stormlight Archive, I'm actually going to be starting to make theories with you guys because I don't know. And here's here's my theory for this, Elliot, your question, is that obviously these flying fuse kind of mirror our Windrunners and our Skybreakers. And if Moash is seeing that the fused or the flying fuse seem to be the ones in charge, then that's probably how it's been the case for ever like the old knights radiant days that's how that's what the case was is that the the flying fused were in charge and i'm wondering if that was the same for the knights radiant where the skybreakers and the windrunners were kind of like the leading military um 
like the leading military organizations of the Knights Radiant, and they kind of kept each other in like checks and balances where the Skybreakers were all about, you know, order and rules and enforcing what's like the law and what's what's good in their eyes. And then the Windrunners are like, well, we need to make sure it's good for the people. And you know, they, they kind of went back and forth there for Skybreakers and Windrunners. And they were kind of in charge for like the war effort type thing. That's That's my theory. And so like, for both sides, whoever was flying seemed to be in charge of like the military at least. Look at you! Look at Trevor adding some uh, some theories to the list here. Yeah, it's probably not right though. Yeah, it's true. Oh, the, the whole thing <laughs> could just be you know bait. He's he's pretending to spin a theory just to uh, to lead us down the wrong path here. I would I would believe it if he did that. I would one hundred percent believe that. Yeah. But no, it is fun that we're catching up or, or getting closer to caught up with the the lore and getting to yeah spin theories and talk about you know what's what's unknown to the fandom in general. So fun times. Did guys- I did want to mention while we're talking about um, fused, real quick. Moash notices another type of fuse in this chapter, and it's a type of fuse that forms like a saw with his powers and then uses it to like cut lumber in the lumberyard where they're at. And that actually stood out to me as as interesting simply because it's a not necessarily warlike application of power. And we've we've seen before some hints that the Knights Radiant were that way, that there were orders or certain radiants that were not even warriors they were dedicated to other things and so to see the fused have some more like productive constructive powers is for me more evidence that they are sort of a mirror of the radiance but that was that was interesting and important for me that little bit for lack of a better term it like humanizes them a little more they're not all just you know beings of destruction as the void bringers would have been described to to all the humans they're they're more have a culture and like a you know exactly exactly like whoever whoever created these beings kind of some of the hints before had been oh they're beings of destruction they're purely just built to destroy worlds well if that were true they wouldn't have abilities like this Unless I suppose you can think about it from a purely war like application of well you need carpenters and construction you know sappers to support your war efforts so maybe there's a case there but for me this is a little bit of evidence of no this they did have power to support their own culture and society maybe but yeah no that's exactly what i was thinking along the lines of trevor i have one furthering thought on this for you elliot so we we've really seen that with or Parshendi, all the Parshendi characters we've seen, I feel like there's a great deal of, like, just misunderstanding with the Alethi and the Parshendi. Like, they're not evil or anything like that. Like, we, we've seen all the, the, the mess that has been this war, but our characters we've seen, you know, like, things could be resolved. Things were almost resolved with Eshenai and stuff, and Adolin, like, throw back to that, I guess, but just things like that. And we've we've really seen that. But so now we are introduced to the fused, which we kind of assume are just this is the pure root evil 
that's kind of taking over the Parshendi almost, like that whole deal. And do you think that later we will find out that the Fused are also maybe like a victim, if you will, or like not as evil as we think, or like have their own culture and like things like that? Or do we think they're just just evil? This is a great question, and it's one that's bouncing around in my my brain as well. And I think the answer to that question is in this chapter. It just happens off screen. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. So, Le- Leshwi is that her name? Leshwi. Yes. Leshwi. We probably should have done a spell check on that one. That would have been a weird one. Leshwi tells Moash why they fight. And and then it like you know scene ends and like you cut away or, or whatever happens in the the chapter there but we don't hear it but Moash does and I was frustrated in that moment I was like ah that that's what I need to know is what their their motive is here we've we've kind of figured out why the Parshmen were doing what they were doing we've kind of figured out why the Parshendi were doing what they're doing but we don't really know why the fused are doing what they're doing other than we can assume they're being driven by odium and odium has just, you know, sent them to destroy the humans or whatever that might be. But to hear it from their mouth, what they're doing, Oh, that would have answered a lot of exactly what you're asking here, Paul. I, to take like a random guess at it or to think about, you know, what we know so far, I, I think what you're hinting at might be possible that the fused are misunderstood as well. And there maybe is some way we could reconcile and not go to war with all this. But the hint we've kind of got with some of the fused is that like some of them are insane. Like they're, they're not all there. Right. And it, it seems like that's even common among the fused is that they're, they're broken. They're these souls that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. I think of our heralds, right? They've, they've been around for thousands of years. They've been stuck in damnation for centuries and millennia they're they're broken that's what these fused are as well and so i wonder if these are going to be sort of a a pure evil if you will simply because there's there's no good left maybe they were good at one point maybe they were honorable maybe they were just trying to do what's right for their own people but maybe that was thousands of years ago and now there's just not much left of them that's kind of what i wonder where this is headed or some of the hints seem to be pointing towards maybe I could see that, and and pretty similarly, like we've seen with Talonel, that we, I mean, Talonel is a herald, and the heralds are just kind of revered as, you know, incredible heroes and things like that, and and I could see our, our fuse being like that, or at least just being so molded by just all the experiences with like damnation and everything in the story, and. You know, that it's it's hard to tell or like Yeah. Maybe that is just like too far gone, like whatever normal society life they could relate to and such. So yeah. But I think that's something interesting that I'm gonna kind of look out for. Do you guys remember the conversation leading up to that point where the scene ends unless we tells Moash why they fight? Do you remember what the conversation or what Moash had said bef- right before that. I can so, fill you in. 
Well, part of that is Moash is talking about how he, like we don't deserve this world. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking about? Or is it a different part of that? Yes and no. Venley keeps pushing Moash of like, why are you here? Why do you keep why do you keep what is your burning passion or what is that there's a word that I don't remember what she uses, but um she asks him what his passion is and what does Moash say to that? Vengeance, right? Vengeance, correct. And when Moash finally boil when Venley pushes him and Moash finally boils it down to I just want vengeance for presumably his grandparents and on Elokar. Um she she kind of nods in a knowing way. And then she's like, I'll tell you why we fight. And then the scene ends. So what could it have something to do with vengeance? Do the fused feel like they need to get vengeance for something? I mean, obviously they've been locked in damnation for forever for some reason. We don't know why, but um just think along those lines for a while. That is interesting. So I remember whenever we really saw Stormform and its kind of glory whenever that was like first really introduced to us, there was like I don't remember who said it, if it was Eshenai or what. She was saying it to Adolin, I think. Of like, we are here to kill all the Alethi. Like, that's it. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, have we seen, or do we know, or are we going to find out? Are are the fused the same way in that? Is that their goal? Or is it like, maybe something deeper? Maybe they hate ODM, or something else like deeper and bigger, or whatever, that they're really trying to... Like fight back or the hair they may hate the heralds or like I don't know. The the scene you're thinking of, Paul, is right at the end of Words of Radiance and Eshenai and uh Adolin are fighting and the word they use ex- is extermination. And Eshenai accuses Adolin of the Alethir coming to exterminate all the parchment, which was kind of their goal was to stop the Everstorm from being summoned. And Eshenai at that point had zero, like, had zero thoughts of peace. She was like, "We are going to exterminate you." The the she was on the other foot, if you will, of we are going to kill every last Alethi, and there's no quarter. After uh, after Moash is told by Leshwe why the fused fight, it kind of cuts to this next scene, and it's probably just two paragraphs long or something. Moash finds the Parshendi that Kaladin met, saw, and I don't remember the the woman's name. They've been enslaved for unknowingly hiding Kaladin, and they're going to be sent as soldiers against Kolinar. And then Moash goes and finds them and he wants to train them in the spear. And that's how the scene ends of I'm going to, I'm going to train you before we get to Kolinar, how to use the spear. 
and then they agree. So he's kind of starting his own squad, Spearman squad, with his, those parchment that are basically slaves now to the fused. Which is a little bit like Bridge 4 all over again, right? Right. It's like the the parallels are are pretty close. It is not quite the oppressive situation that Bridge 4 was in, but they're in a war camp. They're building siege materials. Moash has decided to stick up for these people who are arguably at a at a pretty low point. And then now here he is resolving to teach them how to fight when they've really just kind of been assigned this job of at least we're kind of assuming meat shields. It's a lot like what Kaladin did way back in the beginning of Way of Kings, which is an interesting little parallel here. Bridge five. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is bridge four. Bridge 4.1. Bridge four, two. Yeah. Um, I, I thought this was really interesting, and I picked up on it pretty quick, because it was a very, very, like, obviously a very intentional right. comparison, and, and it talks about, like, yeah, well, we need, we're gonna need people in the front to soak up arrows, that just, it's it has, just has to happen, it's just how it goes, and stuff, and so, like, who are we gonna have do that? Same thing, kind of, as Sadius did, you know, those kind of they needed their bridges, but other than that, that was kind of what the bridgemen were. Um, and it's interesting. I'm curious to see like how this continues with Moash. I feel like we've also really seen Moash go from a pretty secondary or between second and third tier character to like definitely at least second like second tier character like taking on a pseudo role of Kaladin, like a replication of Kaladin here, which is really cool. And I'm curious to see how it goes because the Kaladin and Moash are very different. Um, so I'm really curious to see how this goes. We also know that Moash is on his way to Kolinar. Kaladin is also on his way to Kolinar. Uh, I was going to bring that up. Who all is coming to Kolinar? We know that uh-huh. Adolin, Kaladin, Elokar, Shalon, and a couple of Bridge Four are all on their way. Well, not yet. Anything else from 54? No. Nope, nothing else for me. We could see a an interesting meetup between Kaladin and Moash, but I agree with Paul. I'm very interested to see where it's where his storyline is going, Moash. All right, 55. Let's jump back to actual Bridge 4, now that Moash is creating his own Bridge 4. We're with Relaine, who is our one Parshman listener, singer, however you want to call them. And he's our one listener, part of Bridge 4, and he's kind of musing to himself throughout uh, throughout this chapter of all the Bridgemen feel alone, and they've all come to rock individually at some point of i don't belong in bridge four because of this reason because they're, they all feel like misfits but that's kind of the beauty of bridge four is it doesn't really matter who you are you're welcome here and relaine kind of laughed himself he's like 
I'm a completely different species. And all of you think that you feel alone and outcast from everybody else. Like, talk to me when you grow some carapace, you know? <laughs> like, talk to me when everybody in the entire world doesn't look at you as a traitor or could betray us at any point, so. This was a tough chapter for me to read, or, or at least it was a painful one, just because my impression of Verlaine up until now has simply been, oh, he's kind of quiet. Oh, he doesn't feel like he fits in, but everyone else, you know, treats him like he's part of Bridge Four. Like that's such a, a good thing that they're doing. And then here we get inside Verlaine's head, and we realize that despite the efforts of his compatriots in Bridge Four, he still feels like an outsider. Such to the point where even like the stuff they do has impacts on him that they're not thinking about that are painful for him, which was just hard. And Relaine is in, understandably not, you know, speaking up about it. He's just trying to figure out life and figure out where he's supposed to be. He thinks he's the last one of his nationality, I guess, is kind of the way he thought about it. And it's just, it was hard. He, I, I feel really bad for him. He's in a tough spot. Even though he's got a fairly good group of people around him, it's he still feels like an outsider, and it, it hurts. Yeah, so I'll actually clarify that So, because I've been mis saying the wrong thing up until now that Relaine's nation that moved out to the Shattered Plains, they call themselves the Listeners. But the, the race of... Parshman or Parshendi, they call themselves the Singers, but specifically the the ones at the Shattered Plains were called the the Listeners, and so he's comparing it to you know, it's it's like somebody from Shinovar is the same as somebody from Kolinar, like they're completely different in the uh, in the human size, so that's how he views the Listeners versus the rest of the Singers. So he he views himself as the last listener. He doesn't, that's not entirely true because Venli has her close group of friends still alive. There's also another group of listeners still alive. Do you guys remember back in Words of Radiance, there was a group of listeners who wouldn't take on Stormform and ran before the Alethi got there. Do you guys remember that? Yes, I definitely remember that. So there's another group somewhere out there we're assuming like hopefully they got away they left a couple days ahead of the lethe that got there so there is another group of of listeners that ran right before the lethe got there i do remember that because at this point relaine had left like bridge four kind of and went right. and then he got there and all the storm form drama was happening and so he left again and there's also that i remember it talking about like a it was kind of almost like a division. There was like a slew of people that left because they didn't want to do with this, anything to do with this storm form mess. It, it's funny, Trevor. I had, I did remember that, but I had completely written that group off as they did not make it. I thought for sure if they had made it, that if they were alive, it was going to become important in words of radiance. We were going to see them again then and so we had the whole you know creation of the everstorm 
high storm versus ever storm, like the biggest cataclysm in a very long time. I had kind of assumed there was no way they survived that. If they were like down in the chasms during all of that, I imagine they're all very squished right. at this point. But now that you're bringing this up, now you've got me wondering. But yeah, I guess theoretically there could be more of them out there. So yeah, I just wanted to to highlight that Relaine isn't as alone as he feels, but you know, at this point, Fenley and all of her close friends are on the other side. So it's right. He must feel pretty alone right now. Anything else from this chapter? Nothing here. Kaladin is certainly trying to trying his best to include everyone he can, but there are certain there's certain people who fall through the cracks and I think Relaine is one of them because there's a there's a line that I think summarizes Elliot your word pain or painful or whatever you said um for this chapter and one of the bridge one of the bridgemen is saying or uses the term shellhead for for Parshendi as like a, a slur if you will or, or slang and then he kind of looks at Relaine it's like oh no no offense Relaine and then his internal dialogue is he says no it's totally fine because that's what they expect him to say and not that's not because what he actually feels so there's a lot of inner turmoil for for Relaine that's been happening this whole time and he's just been just keeping silent about it Yep, exactly. Anything else before we close out this episode? I'm very curious to see more about our listeners specifically. Um, and I guess why they would call themselves the listeners and kind of all the stuff there. Um there's been a large rise in this chapter of the like threat of the the fused I feel which is cool but I'm just like wait what about the other like eight major villain arcs we had going on like we still have Teravangian and the unmade and Mr. Kremling man and like Seth yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just off the top of my night, head right now you blood. know yeah. Ghost Bloods, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got a couple. Shalon. So... Yeah, Shalon. <laughs> um, the Stick from Words of Radiance. He's definitely going to make a reappearance, I think. All right. Let's close this episode. Next week, we have the end of part two of Oathbringer and our interludes to cover. So we'll be doing that next week and thanks for joining me for this week uh paul and elliot see you later a pleasure as always